Hey everybody, Ray Lucchese here with Matt Lieb. Welcome to the next episode of Greybeard's on Storage Podcast, a show where we get Greybeard storage bloggers to talk with system vendors, discuss upcoming products, technologies, and trends affecting the data center today. This Greybeard's on Storage episode was recorded on June 26, 2019. We have with us here today, Eric Bednash, CEO of, of Racktop Systems. So Eric, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your company? Thanks, Ray, and, and thanks, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, so a little bit about myself. I'm, I'm a lifelong entrepreneur. Uh, I spent, at this point, um, a little over 15 years in the national intelligence space uh, and uh, you know, founded Racktop, co-founded Racktop in 2010, and um, really to be focused on uh, simplifying uh, data management and data security. And uh, today we have um, sort of evolved this this market, uh, which we call cyber converged uh, data security. And we've built a data storage product that uh, sort of fits right between uh, what you would consider as a traditional enterprise data storage um, and uh, and security and compliance things that you would typically see in the cyber world. And we've kind of fused these two things together. And, uh, and that's what our, what our product does here at Racktop. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, lots of, uh, I'll call it standardized enterprise NAS systems have um, some aspects of security in them. Where does Racktop, uh, you know, take off from what's, what's currently available? Or what's the differenti- differentiator, I should say? Yeah. So, you know, traditionally the, um, so enterprise storage systems or NAS systems in particular, uh, which is what our product is, is based on, um, rely on what I'll, you know, really superficial access controls. Right. And that's kind of the, the beginning and end for, uh, external security, um, when it comes to protecting the data. Uh, but in sort of the modern enterprise, um, there's all kinds of sophisticated attacks um, and a lot of compliance uh, requirements that enterprises are facing today. And so um, there's a level of security that goes well beyond just uh, preventing access to uh, data or to a data share. And so what we do is we take a lot of the capabilities that um, the cyber vendors are creating out on the network, things that you would typically see in an endpoint device or at the edge uh, or in a firewall or or, or in a network sim. And we're taking those capabilities and we're merging them into the data system. So in addition to providing your traditional access controls, what we're also doing uh, is providing things like tracking user behavior. So um, capturing what users are doing on the system, how they're doing it, and, uh, and, and running analysis off of that so that we can determine if something is uh, out of the ordinary, right? We, we are keeping continuous audits uh, of user access data. We're looking at uh, compliance. So when, you say, so when you say tracking user behavior, so I'm a, a user using a file system or something like that, you're going to be tracking every file and directory I look at or write over a period of time, that sort of thing? Exactly. So we're looking at how you're using and interacting with the data uh, on an ongoing basis. And and we uh, collect this data and we provide visualizations for that uh, within our user interface and through our API. Uh, or we can also forward this data um, via uh, RFC 5424 message format uh, into a SIM, like uh, something like Splunk, um, that uh, customers can use to analyze that data. Their security operation centers can analyze that data. Uh, and it gives you a much deeper picture 
uh, into actually what's occurring. Um, and uh, it's everything from the machine they come from, the protocol they're using, how they're using the file, what they're doing to it, and what I/O size is. It's very detailed. So you know, occasionally I'm using financial services on the net and stuff like that. They'll send me an email that says, you know, you used a different computer this, this time to log in, stuff like that. Does it provide that sort of feedback to the user, or just to I don't know, the security group or something like that? Yeah. So today it's to the security group. So that's what we would call an anomaly, right? So anomalous behavior, we'd be able to detect that. And and within our visualization interface, you can see that today. You can see, you know, user Eric Bednash access this file um, from five different computers. And that, that may not be normal because two of those weren't even his, right? So, uh, so we can provide this information uh, in a very um, visual way right now. Uh, or again, like I said, you can forward that information to other systems if you have bigger uh, you know, analysis systems that your security team is using. Uh, and does it do a, a sort of a proactive protection against uh, potentially an external user that it doesn't recognize outside of, and I imagine it's what standard LDAP authentication? Yeah, yeah. so it's using the uh, directory services. And, and today, um, what we're doing is uh, collecting, uh, forwarding, and uh, visualizing this information. So uh, today, it's very much an interactive. Um, um, uh, the data is meant to be uh, used interactively by Security Operations Center. Uh, where we're headed on the roadmap is to uh, automatically make decisions based off of certain user behaviors. So uh, since once the system learns what's normal and what's not, then we can start to take action on our own, or we can respond to commands that may come in from the uh, from another automated system. Uh, so sort of, you know, the next evolution of this capability um, would be uh, to add more autonomous behavior in so that um, you wouldn't even have a human involved in, in catching a lot of these anomalies as they occur. And yet the alerting would still take place. Alerting always would take place. Yeah. You always, there's always multiple things. I think, you know, sort of coming out of the, the security world uh, in the, in the sort of intelligence space, um, you know, there's always, you don't ever do one thing, right? There's always multiple things you want to do uh, to not only protect uh, the system, but also to deal with uh, a certain event, right? There's a couple of people that need to be aware. And, and you know, some sometimes the security operations center kind of, they end up ignoring certain threats and issues because they kind of glaze over things because they're used to looking at uh, whether it be a dashboard or, or certain indicators, they're used to seeing those. And actually the false positives create, um, you know, have a really bad habit of uh, allowing people to miss good information. So by m alerting multiple people in multiple different ways, it allows you to converge uh, much faster when there is an issue. And so, uh, so yeah, alert, alerting is always part of that, that response, even if there is automation. But you guys go beyond just uh, access profiling and things of that nature. Uh, you offer like encryption and that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I kind of think about if you look at a data storage system from kind of the the ground up, um, you know, you at your base layer, you have a hard drive and then you have a file system and then you have uh, protocols, right? And there's a bunch of things that happen in between, but, but in general, and then outside of that, you have users accessing data. Um, that's from the utility storage perspective. If you start to wedge in the security components, I view encryption uh, sort of that base layer, right? So in order to have a secure um, network attached storage device, you have to start um, with that base security layer, which is encryption to us. And, and so we do encryption um, at two different layers. Uh, and, and then 
And so we're doing it within the drives uh, uh, themselves. And then uh, we're also doing it within the file system. Uh, and then we use uh, a key manager to manage different sets of keys between the two so that you can have, you can meet uh, pretty much any security policy you have in place. And then there's this government government standard called um, a CSFC, which is Com Commercial Solutions for Classified. And that actually dictates that in order to use a commercial product to store classified data, you actually have to have two layers of encryption um, and managed differently by two different keys. And we have that capability built in. Uh, and it's sort of that foundational layer. And then we add up the stack. I already talked about user behavior, but there's there's um, auditing and reporting that goes on. Uh, all right, all right, wait. So let me try to understand the two-layer encryption. So let's say you use a, you know, a self-encrypting drive, but the data that you send to the self-encrypting drive is already encrypted? Is that what that means? That's correct. So yeah, think about it like right. It's that it, it's uh, the self-encrypting drive is just encrypting the bits as it as it sees them. It uh, doesn't know that they're already encrypted. Um, and then the the layer above would be the data itself within the file system is encrypted, and that's managed by a different set of keys. So so in essence, you have you know double encrypted data, which means you would have to try and encrypt, decrypt both to actually get, make sense of it, right? As it's ingested into the file system, but is it in flight as well? Uh, anything in flight would also be encrypted, but encrypted by transport encryption, right? So whether that be on the protocol or whether that be, uh, well, I pretty much be on the protocol, but whatever the protocol may be, um, using a secure transport would, uh, would deal with it at that point. I was going to ask who the target customers are. I, I noticed on your webpage You've got a, a bunch of different um, solution uh, sort of target customers, including uh, energy and finance and certainly Fed space, but uh, healthcare, uh, uh, et cetera. And, and, um, I'm wondering uh, if, if just anybody that's concerned today about issues like GDPR and, and other sovereignty rules, uh, HIPAA, et cetera, are, are really going to be your target customers. So I think what, that's that's a really good point because, I mean, GDPR, even if you don't, GDPR doesn't apply to you, it, it's a blueprint for what's to come, right? We see California already enacting laws around data privacy. And and so I, I, I feel like every entity, uh, every enterprise is eventually going to be held to some sort of uh, data regulation, right? And so... Uh, and, and GDPR was just the first example of of a regulation that you know had a lot of teeth to it. Um, and so, if you look at it from that perspective, a, a lot of businesses that were not traditionally regulated have to figure out how to deal with regulation. And not not all of them could go hire chief compliance officers and and add a lot of structure because it doesn't really align with their business. I mean, finance could do that, healthcare could do that uh, because they've been doing it. Um, but um, but so more and more enterprises are going to need this capability built in. And, and they're going to need it to be very simple. Um, and so in terms of target markets for us, um, if you add compliance and, and, and sort of the security together, uh, it really could be anybody, but we're focused specific. Half of our business is in the federal space um, because it's sort of where, where we came out of and we understand that really well and, and they understand, um, you know, the importance of what we're offering. Um, but a lot of the uh, enter larger enterprises that... Um, uh, do have regulatory issues to deal with. Um, some like NIST 800-171 is another one. Um, and then uh, media and, and entertainment, um, 
healthcare life sciences, uh, enterprises that have lots of unstructured data, that have security and compliance concerns, or in general, just care, you know, want to increase their security posture overall. And, uh, and, and those are really be the ideal. So that, that market's getting bigger and bigger every day because uh, I was joking uh, with someone just a couple of days ago. I said, How, when was the last time you asked somebody, asked a CIO uh, whether or not security was important, right? So it's, it is, and it's becoming something that, that is really becoming important. Oh, yeah. And, and you're far better being proactive in your approach on that, knowing that it's, it's certainly coming down the pipe, even if it's not necessarily uh, mission critical for your business today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I look at the market. I kind of look at the market and I say that, you know, we, you know, when, when the market is full steam ahead on security, it'll start to demand these types of solutions. I think we're at the beginning of that starting to happen where some of the, some larger organizations who are being hit by this are pulling a lot more uh, than the smaller ones, but it's the momentum is building. And I've seen it over the last two years. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if you guys are kind of seeing the same thing, but uh, in, in my customer base, I, I'm actually seeing. I'm, I, I have an ongoing conversation right now um, where a uh, a customer of mine has a presence in Europe and a presence in the states, but they also have remote users coming in from China, yeah. and uh, and it's a it's a complex set of uh, of issues that we have to deal with. Uh, with them, just in terms of making sure that there's uh, a level of security and, and uh, as you say, uh, tracking in place uh, to ensure that the right people are getting at the right data. And, and how do we go about that? And I, I think it's uh, really relevant to me right now. You know, I, I got a couple questions. I'm not sure where to go, but maybe the first one would be, can you kind of provide a high level discussion or description of GDPR? I mean, I always thought it was just a data movement constraint, but it's more than that, huh? Uh, yeah. GDPR sort of, uh, you know, to me is really about uh, data privacy, right? So if you sort of boil it and it's it's complex, more, more complex than, than uh, I, uh, you know, could understand it um, or even describe it uh, in a succinct way. But I kind of look at it as if you, if you look, take a pull all the way back, it's about data privacy, right? And I think it's it's the the importance is we want to ensure that the people, the enterprises that hold our data um, are protecting it and that um, we also have the right um, to request that data to be expunged. And that part's a little bit harder. Um, but um, as the data owners or originators, we have that we have that right. Uh, and I think that's kind of what GDPR says uh, overall. So all, all of the details of the regulation kind of boil up, you know, down to that uh, to me. And so if you take that that blueprint and say, you know, okay, that was for um, EU citizens, uh, and then anybody doing business, uh, in, you know, with with those individuals would also need to adhere to these policies. Um, it, it becomes difficult because that is not the way we've designed architectures and infrastructures uh, for so you know for the last three decades. It's just not the way we've done it, um, you know. And actually, uh, you know, not to sidetrack GDPR, but I, uh, zero trust is another big um, uh, issue that sort of is is another one of these things that does not adhere to the last few decades of how we've done things. And, and so, um, it, you know, it 
it really is is it boils down to that privacy and, and data privacy, and then how do we protect that? And so, uh, if you kind of take the approach of saying that, listen, all 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 data is important, whether that data is generated by us and it's IP of the company, um, or it's our customers' IP, or if it's our customers' uh, data. Um, you know, we need to protect it and we need to think about it in a different context, uh, uh, you know, a, d- a different context than the way we've traditionally thought about it, right? We can't think about data systems as just being repositories anymore for data. We have to think about them as holding critical information that we need to protect all the way down to the data level. Um, and so to me, that's kind of the, that's kind of the, what GDPR and, and, and the meaning of protection there is not just encryption, but access uh, controls and, and, and uh, user profiling and audit logging. And, and I mean, all these things that you're bringing to bear are, are part of that, 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 that underlying term of protection. Is that how you see it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so protection is another one of those words that can mean a bunch of different things, uh, depending on how you're talking about it. But if if you look at security as an ecosystem, um, and and that's really the way you need to look at it, because that's how you have to successfully implement it. You can't stop uh, at one level um, within your infrastructure and expect you to have end-to-end security, right? So when I talk about protection, um, uh, around data, uh, it's ha- you have to do all of those things because uh, you know security is kind of the 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 act of protecting, and compliance is the proof that you're continuing to protect, right? So GDPR is a regulation, and we call it compliance. You have to comply with the regulation, uh, and so we'll put in measures, security measures, to do that. But then you have to continue to prove it. So if you add things like audit. Uh, and tracking user behavior, uh, and then encryption, and you put all these things together, you, you get that combination that you need to actually solve the problem. You mentioned zero trust. I only thing I know about zero trust is that it's Zcash. Is there is there something else there? There is zero trust. Is um, so zero trust is a framework that was established by Forrester, um, and it's really sort of changes the model for how you um, architect your enterprise uh, going from this sort of trust but verify type model to a like never trust, always verify model. And, and so if you think about, uh, you know, the internet's an open architecture, we've designed the, our, our, uh, the core of our networks, the core of our infrastructures as open architectures because we trust that once somebody is inside the firewall, they should be there. But that's the problem because we have all kinds of people and things inside our network now that that shouldn't be there, uh, including you know uh, advanced persistent threats and potential nation states. And there's there's all of these things. Um, so this whole concept of a trusted core is gone, and that's what zero trust really um, kind of lays out. It's a, it's a framework. Now the problem with zero trust, and, and I have a couple of pet peeves with it uh, in particular, is that. Uh, if you Google zero trust, you'll see uh, the whole first page of Google are network security vendors trying to sell you network products to give you zero trust. And it's not, you can't buy zero trust. It's not a thing you buy, right? Zero trust is a, is a context. It's a way of thinking. It's a way to architect. Um, and it and it's really a way to architect to get an end-to-end um, secure infrastructure system so that it is possible to comply with GDPR or NIST 800-171 or to protect data because it's it's hard protection at the exterior, it's protection at the interior, and ultimately what we're doing is we put those two things together to protect your data. And that's precisely what like what Racktop is fulfilling in that in that chart would be the strong interior, right? For forever, 
we had a soft interior and people say, well, data, you know, data security and data storage, it's in my data center, it doesn't matter. Well, we're kind of saying, well, it does matter because um, you know, those days are over. And so you need to have a nice tough interior as well where the data is living, just as you have a nice tough exterior and you put those together and you actually are able to solve these tougher, down, the, these, these tougher data challenges that, that are facing the modern enterprise. You know, I'm, um, I'm, you know, it, it, security is esoteric, right? It's a very sort of if conversation, uh, and I think it's, it goes over the head of a lot of people. I, I think one of the things that I'd like to know is, first of all, um, what do you mean by cyber converged? Which I think is um, the first time I've actually ever heard that used. Um, we all know what converged infrastructure is. I imagine that there's uh, a server engine that runs all of the the security layer and the access layer software that that manages the file system underneath. Is is that what you mean by cyber converged? Yeah. So we're you know we we sort of coin coin the term uh, cyber converged and and we we sort of took um, we looked at kind of. You know, converged markets have always created great leaps and and sort of uh, progress and innovation and uh, produce great results for consumers. Um, so just, I mean, I always use the iPhone as a great example of that. Uh, it's a converged product that converged multiple technologies together into something that, you know, created uh, exponential value, right? And so, um, so what cyber converged, uh, where the sort of the genesis of that word was taking like, well, we, we look at all of the the things that are happening in the cyberspace, uh, which are basically centered around the network to help protect our systems and protect our data. Um, and and sort of we, we kind of viewed the way what we were doing, which was essentially merging that with data storage. Um, you know, that's kind of where we came up with the term. Well, it's a cyber converged data system. It's a cyber converged uh, data security is kind of how we kind of you know, look at the whole market, and uh, eventually, I'm sure there'll be other competitors in the space. And and and, but um, but that's really where where it came from. Is 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 it's really it's the convergence of two um, very core technologies uh, to the enterprise, uh, and really with the with the emphasis on cyber because we we look at the next sort of generation or the the modern enterprise as really being a security focused one uh, versus you know security as an afterthought. So let me let me let me ask a couple of questions about the basic data services. So it's it's a it's an open ZFS variant. Is that how I understand it? It, it is. Yes. Yeah. So we started with with ZFS as the base file system, and and you know it, it it's a uh, very mature file system. It's been out there. There's a number of other vendors have who have used that as a starting point. Um, and that's kind of the way we, we did uh, we approached the problem as well. We didn't we didn't want to go out there and invent a new file system um, because in this sort of uh, modern age, we didn't think that's very practical or very practical business model to do that. And so we started with something that was known to be very good, very reliable, and um, we built up from there. So um, at the utility storage layer, we fixed some of the rough edges. Uh, we implemented data management layers on top to make it easy. You know, there's a bunch of pitfalls with ZFS. We we sort of address some of those by, um, you know, sort of taking away some of the knobs and tunables that could really get people in trouble. Uh, and so we really 
focused on making it easy, reliable, and consistent, right? And then we built up from there. Then we sort of started building our data management layer out. We built our app layer out. And then we're leveraging the power. I mean, it runs on a commodity uh, Intel server. Um, and so we're leveraging the power of modern processors with multiple cores and a large memory footprint to be able to do everything we do in real time in the same system that's providing data services uh, because of that that headroom that we have in the systems today. And and, and do you support compression in the solution? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, there's the other side of there's a deduplication and how does that work with encryption and all that stuff? But I'll just I'll just limit myself to compression at this point. <laughs> yeah. So and and this is another. Another sort of benefit of of uh, ZFS is that all the capa- we didn't lose any capabilities of, of ZFS. So some of the native capabilities that that you have are compression, deduplication, um, and uh, you know being able to do snapshots and data protection. So all all of these sort of things are are we don't lose any of those capabilities, right? And so that we kind of in, enhance them uh, for our purpose. Um, so anything you would expect. Uh, this, so this is the best way to describe it. If 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 our goal is to secure data within the enterprise and be able to replace, um, you know, your your NAS device that you're on now. Um, and in order to do that, we have to be able to provide those base storage capabilities, right? We we don't want to go in uh, and say, hey, you have to change your workflow. I think this is one of the problems with uh, S3 adoption uh, within the local enterprises, right? It's like, hey, this is great, but you have to change the way you do everything because it's not a common protocol that, you, you know, it's not POSIX compliant. It doesn't fit into your organization, right? And I think that that hurt adoption um, of some of these S3 products. And so we, we're saying, look, you don't have to do any of that. We want you to have a more secure enterprise. We want you to have more secure data. But we also realize that you, you can't really have these great disruptions um, to how you do business today. It has to talk SMB. It has to talk NFS. Um, you know, you have to be able to support all of the data storage things that an enterprise needs. And we do that. That's very interesting. Uh, you know, I'm uh, having worked in in this space in the in the past. I mean, I'm a huge ZFS fan, so uh, a fan from back in the the uh, Sun Microsystem days. And and what I love about ZFS is the way in which it um, leverages both uh, read and write cache. But it seems to me that you've got, um, and and I may be wrong here, but uh, Various other open ZFS protocols have taken advantage of metadata caching as well uh, as almost a an additional layer. Uh, is that something that you guys are doing as well? Yeah, uh, yes. Yeah. So we, we've made a, a, a couple enhancements um, that facilitate the tasks that we are doing with data, um, you know, overall. So um, like with user behavior, we're tapping in at multiple layers. Um, to be able to uh, extract information and recorrelate it, we don't want to pollute caches with our own administrative data. I think this is one of the problems that, like an external auditor compliance piece of software causes. Like if, if it's connected to one of our competitor systems, it would have to scan files externally. That would pollute the cache, and that would actually, you know, create false user signatures. Um, you know, and so we don't we don't have to do that, right? Because we're doing it all internally. Uh, and so we've made we've made enhancements uh, to how the system works to be able to facilitate our activity 
um, in there so that we don't kind of get in the way uh, of what's happening. And then we also provide all that same benefits, uh, you know, all the same benefits of, of the built-in cache. And we made some enhancements to how the cache is managed and architected so that we can uh, fix some of the rough edges there with, you know, that we're in some of the open source versions of that. And so, uh, but again, our uh, we look at, we have to provide high performance storage capabilities in order to be in the conversation. And then our differentiator is the entire security and compliance stack that sits on top. And we need to merge those together seamlessly. And that's really what our, our vision and our goal is as, as we you know continue to build and evolve the product. And so I guess I'm not as familiar with ZFS. Does it support like high available uh dual controller cutovers and things of that nature? It, it doesn't it doesn't natively. This is work that we've done. Um we've done internally uh, to make it highly available, make our services highly available. Oh, so you have, you have added that functionality. We did. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and you mentioned that um, you're, you're using servers. I, do you support both uh, a hardware appliance as well as a software only? Yeah, so um, our current model is very much tied to tied to the hardware. Um, just, you know, mainly because most of our, most of our customers are almost all of them are used to buying storage as a thing, right? And so they stick it in their data center and, and that's that's the way they purchase it. Um, we've built um, a metering capability into the software so that we can license it uh, on a metered in a metered fashion or license it as software only. Um, we don't have a lot of customers taking advantage of that. Um, we are we are pro- probably starting to see some more interest there, um, you know, in the market. But we have a very limited hardware uh, footprint that we support um, because that's another sort of gotcha about ZFS is that you you can't really run it on everything. So you do have to be careful on what you run it on. And we have a very limited set of uh, qualified systems that, of course, we we support um, to do that. And so uh, and so we're you know we're we're sort of seeing seeing some more interest in 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 that side, but really it's all it's mainly a system sale today. Um, but um, but I but I think the natural evolution of things is it'll it'll continue to uh, to evolve to the point where uh, even across a limited set of hardware uh, we'd be able to support software towards a hardware compatibility list or a reference architecture. Um, I would say more um, well. Uh, I don't know the answer to that, right? It's right. I think you can go either way, right? I think we all know the gotchas of what happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the way I look at reference architecture is vendor A. You know, let's say the big. Let's just look at the bigs, right? So it's this Dell server with this Dell JBOD and these types of disks. Well, the problem there is that Dell can never guarantee you what disks they're going to ship. So that that's that that breaks a little bit. You can say this HP server with this HP JBOD and this and this disk. So. Uh, would love to be able to get to the point where we can do that um, and and actually provide the quality control that's necessary. Um, it, sometimes it's easier to say like, well, these are the disks that you can get um, from anywhere, uh, and you know, and then those are the ones that we know are qualified and work. Um, the unfortunate side is, is it gets really messy for customers really quickly. And so what we want to do is make it easy. And nine times out of ten, um, uh, customers who've even come to us from other sort of open source vendors who've had who've gone down that path this is something that they that they're like look i don't want to deal with it i just want to buy a thing and i want it to work and so right and yeah. and, and that's been my experience too i i think that there's uh, a lot to be said for um just buying a uh, yeah. line item skew uh and and if you could uh, skew it an hpe or a super micro or even a quanta device um with XYZ, I imagine we're talking about SATA 
discs. Yeah, what SAS discs um, are? Yeah, that's what we're. Yeah. So a, a SAS controller with with X number of ports, etc., and 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 these SSDs for caching in in the classic sort of. Uh, ZFS model. Yeah, I would see it. It it'd be more along more along those lines. Uh, ideally, if the if if we were able to skew it up in a way where we can uh, sort of know down to the hard drive level um, that they weren't getting mixed vendor hard drives and things like that, which would which would cause reliability concerns. Um, then you know that is the ultimate way because they get uh, customers get flexibility. Um, and they also get uh, the reliability and the ease that they are used to when buying storage. You, you mentioned in a prior conversation that we had uh, something about a secure uh, supply chain. Yes. And how does that play out in this space? Uh, so that is something that we're able to accomplish uh, with our partner Seagate. Uh, and so what we do is, as we know, most electronic components are not made in the United States. They're probably all made overseas at some some location, uh, and you know, with recent supply t- supply chain um, issues that have been in the news, I'm sure we've all read about those. Um, uh, some of our commercial customers, and of course, our government customers, are very concerned about where their stuff is coming from and uh, how that's been controlled um, along that supply chain. And so, what we're able to do with Seagate is because, and the reason we do this with Seagate is because the lowest level components, the drive enclosures and the drives themselves come from them, um, They we're able to get those drives as, essentially bare, right? So the, the boards themselves, um, the chips and everything come over from Asia and they come to a secure facility in the United States. And then all of the software components are, um, uh, they're uh, put onto the devices here in a controlled manner. And so that's like the basis for our supply chain. And then all of the final transformation um, of all the software that that we put on and everything else around the system itself is done in a secure facility um, before it goes out to our customers so that we, we can say that the, the process is, you know, uh, compliant with BAA and TAA standards uh, and that supply chain has been secured um, along the way so that we can we can provide that that assurance to our customers. Well, wait a minute. You're, you're off, I'll call it a factory where you're producing the, the appliances is a secure facility with, within some standard compliance. That's yeah, that's correct. Oh my God. Yeah. That must add some uh, significant time to delivery. Doesn't it? It adds it, it actually on our side, it, it doesn't add as much time to delivery. Um, but what, but it does, right. It does add a little bit of cost and, but on the components, because a lot of our components are sourced, um, you know, a lot of the uh, server components and things like that, they're, they're much easier sourced um, than the hard drives themselves, which come in quantities of hundreds or thousands. And they're coming from, um, you know, they're coming directly from Asia. And, and so the, the, it's a little bit, uh, there's an extra stop or two in the way, right? So they kind of go to other places before they come to us. uh, And uh, in order to kind of work their way through, um, secure measures. And so that, that's kind of, so it adds a little bit of time. I would say it, more than anything, it adds time, um, you know, to the process. Um, but, um, but it's something that we can offer and, uh, and it's very important to, to some of our customers. Uh, yeah. Sure. And if you, if you have the supply chain in place and enough stocking within your fabrication, um, 
you can make up for some of that time. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 uh, there's a number of different ways you could deal with that. And, and honestly, I think that, you know, if we kind of look forward in the future, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see, um, you know, folks like, uh, HP and Dell start to start to adopt this sort of stuff. Exactly. People, people, they're going to start to say like, Hey, you know, and maybe, maybe they will charge more because it's a, it's a deviation from what they're doing today, but they'll say, devices out of this facility are, are considered secure. We've gone through the same set of security measures at the hardware level. And I mean, from the uh, HP eDiscover, right? We, we heard a lot of talk about security at the hardware level. And and so I wouldn't be surprised if you start to see some of them start to implement the same sort of thing just for servers and, and, and things like that. Okay. Let me, let me turn a little bit to the business side. So, I mean, are you selling this through Big partners or, or direct or, or a combination of both or we we are we're, we're a channel model. Um, you know the 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 company right now is focused on uh, building our channels. Um, you know throughout the various regions of the U.S. and and that's uh, that's predominantly how we go to market. And and you mentioned the the metering charging. So I mean you, you're you're charging for the appliance presumably and your and your system software and stuff like that is licensed on a month on a, a yearly basis. Yeah. So I I, I would say that the um, like ninety nine point nine percent of our uh, of our customers are are purchasing it like you would purchase a traditional NAS system, right? It's a system license. The license is tied to the hardware and 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 you know it's you pay maintenance and you know pretty easy to understand. Um, and, and that's, that's how almost everything, um, is, is sold today and, and consumed. Um, we have a very small number of what I call special purpose use cases where the hardware, um, and the software is separated. And in those instances, uh, some of those are on the consumption model. Uh, we work with partners when we do that um, because you know it, it's kind of it's it's doesn't really exactly fit our our business model, but um, you know we're able to um, sort of meet in a channel and, and do that exactly right. So they they kind of manage the the uh, financial aspects of that, and then we were able to bill from the software side on a on a uh, or at least provide them the reports for them to bill um, mm-hmm. on a on a metered basis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and a support environment for your solution. I mean, you must have parts depots and, and uh, yeah. support contracts uh, that you need to support, that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So we, you know, anything you would expect from, you know, one of the, one of the big players you could expect from us. We, we have exactly what you said. We have parts depots, we have um, onsite support, we have 24 hour, you know, onsite support, uh, parts replacement on the hardware side, uh, 24 seven, uh, help desk, uh, and support team. Uh, and then we also have the ability to support even, uh, the most, uh, secure facilities. Uh, we have a whole team that manages that as well. Um, so we, we, we sort of do it all when it comes to that. Hey, Eric, can you tell us a little bit about the operating system that underlies the Rectop system? So it runs Brickstore OS, um, which is our operating system, and um, it's a it's a derivation of um, what was called uh, Alumos, and we've sort of, um, yeah, exactly, yeah. And so uh, our one of our chief architects actually was the 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 guy who who put that out there and gave it the name, and and so uh, we've evolved it from there, um, but. But we sort of look at that, you know, the base, the base OS, we did a number of things to secure it up. 
Uh, we ripped a couple things out. We turned it into uh, almost like a firmware image. Um, and it, it is the delivery mechanism for ZFS. Uh, and then everything on top, you know, is sort of where all of our special sauce is. Um, so it's everything sitting in between the kernel and, you know, in user space that's doing all that data magic. Uh, and so the OS, uh, is really just sort of the, the delivery mechanism, um, for all that. Yeah. Eric, you know, that ZFS has often had, uh, problems in the past with usability and uh, performance tuning and that sort of stuff. Have you guys done anything to try to address any of that stuff? Yeah. So we have a, we have a, um, uh, a management interface called MyRack and, and, uh, MyRack manager. And um, really, you know, that what that's meant to do is is abstract all of those knobs uh, from the underlying OS. You know, um, Solaris is a, an incredible operating system and it was very secure, but it was built for engineers uh, by engineers. And these there's so uh, there's really uh, the, everybody in the enterprise space today is a is a generalist or they wear 20 hats or they're, you know, nobody has time to just be the storage person who knows everything they can about every setting. Right. And so we abstracted all of that out uh, and uh, through a management interface and an API and uh, to just make it drop dead simple and, and you know, really, you know, sort of buff down all those rough edges that were in that in that um, operating system by nature. And we actually just want to make a point about security. We, uh, our, uh, at the request of one of our customers, our product was put through a full red team um, by a uh, government organization. Um, that, that red team uh, assessment came back. It took them a couple months, but it came back uh, with uh, no high uh, vulnerabilities or findings. Um, so it's kind of a you know, it's kind of a testament that, you know, sort of we, we started with a, a, a secure base and we built on top of there. And uh, and so, you know, had we picked some other options, we, we may not have, you know, fared so well. Yeah, I've never heard of that full red team thing. That that that's, that needs to be all over your website. I'm I'm thinking. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely we have to. I have to figure out with uh, you know what what uh, what we can and can't say publicly uh, about what we can publish. But I will I will say this: they do some very sophisticated uh, techniques to try and figure out things, and and it was impressive. I, I did not know they were going to go to the level they did, but I'm happy we how it turned out. Okay. Hey, well, this has been great, Eric. Anything you'd like to say to our listening audience? Uh, well, um, well, what I actually have something to say to you guys. You know, like I have fifty percent of my beard is gray. I don't know. Does that does that does that make me an honorary? <laughs> okay, good. You are, you qualify good. then? Yeah, you it. could be on the you could be a co-host if you want. Uh, okay, all right. Is there? I didn't know if there was like a number of years or something. No, or, no. No, percentage just, or I've gotten to the point where any gray hair is worthwhile at my point. So we've had some women that wanted to be uh, co-hosts. So we're going to have to change it from gray beards to gray hair. But uh, that's a different uh, discussion. Nice, there was one nice. question I had, Eric, for you guys. So uh, the cloud is all brand new kind of stuff. Do you guys support like cloud tiering if such a thing exists? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. So uh, that's funny. I didn't even talk about. Um, so we have a um, we have a technology called transparent data movement which facilitates data movement in and out of the cloud. So think about all the security stuff we talked about today, right? That whole stack of software. Now think about, all right, well, I have a cold storage requirement. I want to put this stuff off in the S3 or whatever whatever system that's super cheap and deep. Um, so we built a technology to facilitate that. So we, our technology, um, which we call TDM, 
um, will split the data from the metadata and it'll move that data off into that third party system. So let's just say it's an S3 bucket. Um, and then, but we'll leave all the metadata references local um, so that uh, all the compliance um, capabilities, all the uh, reporting, everything that all the user behavior, you still have that. So if somebody ever needed to access those files, even though they're in cold storage, we would be able to capture exactly. We able to capture all of that stuff. So we we built that technology to facilitate people moving data in and out of um, you know those types of systems. All right, there's probably a dozen other questions about the, J, the CFS <laughs> side of things, but I'll leave that as it were. Well, I'd be I love to come back. So yeah, we have a maybe we can do that. Yeah. Well. That's- This has been great. Thank you very much, Eric, for being on our show today. Thanks, Ray. Appreciate it. Next time, we'll talk to another system storage technology person. Any questions you want us to ask, please let us know. And if you enjoy our podcast, tell your friends about it, and please review us on iTunes and Google Play, as this will help get the word out. That's it for now. Bye, Eric. See you later. Until next time. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks.